Hi friends, hello again and welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It's great to have you here again with me today as we work through the entire Bible. The decision to transform our lives by making the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of our daily lives. Whether you've been here right from the beginning or you've joined more recently, can I suggest that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and make sure you don't miss another single episode. And please do hang around and I'll take a couple of minutes at the end to just tell you lots of other ways you can connect and receive other free Bible teaching resources that I make available, even free books that are coming soon. So with that all said, we'll drop back into the main text where we left off last time and I'll speak to you later. Bye for now. Okay, we're in the second part of this long Olivet Discourse. It covers two chapters of Matthew uh, discussing when will the Lord return? And of course, Jesus answering the inquiries of the disciples about how they will know the Lord will return and what signs we should look for. But just to remind you, we're in the second of what I think will be probably three days in the Olivet Discourse. And prior to this point, he's delivered several major addresses, discussions, sermons, whatever you want to call them. But this one is particularly unique because it is the one that looks at prophecy. And he delivers it on this place called the Mount of Olives. It's recorded in these two chapters of the book of Matthew, chapters 24 and 25. And in it, Jesus is talking at length about the fact that he's going to come back. But before he comes back, there will be signs and there will also be tribulation on the earth. And we looked at that period of tribulation in some detail yesterday. We will also see uh, several days later in the life of Jesus, might be about a week or so in this Bible study series, that he's going to have another discussion when he meets with his disciples in the upper room. And he's going to refer to this issue again. And he will. we will hear him say, as we progress through the closing of his week of life on earth, hear him say things like, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back, and I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, on all of these occasions, Jesus is, of course, referring to what we typically call the rapture and the second coming. However, there are some real difficulties when approaching this passage. And even if we can't completely solve all of them and answer all of the questions in there, we must nevertheless boldly face what these passages and these scriptures say. Now, it's worth noting that the word rapture itself does not appear in the Bible. However, the word rapture, as used by many Christians, comes from a Latin word which simply describes something being caught up or lifted up. And the reason that Christians use that term is that's the way Paul describes these events, particularly in his first letter to the Church of Thessalonica, talking about believers being caught up and raised up to be with Christ. But here's the issue the complicated part of this. Jesus says there's going to be a tribulation. We heard about that in detail last time and he says it's going to last seven years. But he also says there's going to be a rapture where believers are caught up, raised up and will meet him in the air. 
Now the question asked by the disciples at the beginning of this whole conversation, back at the start of this chapter 24, is when is the Lord going to return? And in a sense, that asks a question, not just by them, but by us today. Is that event, do we think, going to occur before the seven-year tribulation, during the seven-year tribulation, or after the seven years? Now, needless to say, that question still sparks a great theological debate. I landed on the position yesterday that it occurs in the mid of the tribulation at the period of the three and a half years when the abomination of desolation appears in the temple and that sparks off the tribulation. But there are further challenging questions that arise out of that teaching, no matter which perspective you take on it. And there are some good, some godly and some great men on either side of this debate. So what did Jesus himself actually say and can we take any hints that are helpful out of it? So with that in mind, what we're going to look at today is deeper into Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 32. Now keep in mind that up to this point he said many things in this discourse, but the major thing he said is that there is definitely going to be a period called the tribulation period. And this passage will tell us a couple of things. First of all, at the beginning, it will tell us some things that we can know for sure. But secondly, it can tell us some things that we cannot know and can never know. And it will also tell us some things that we can, perhaps, in good faith, interpret slightly differently. So before I start to tell you a little bit about this difficult passage, and it is a difficult passage. In fact, one author I read in the preparation of this said there are few passages which confront us with greater difficulties than this one does. And I do believe in a sense he was absolutely correct. There are real difficulties in understanding this passage, which is why I'm going to, with a sense of humility, try and explain my perspective on it and what I think it tells us about the Lord's return. So let's begin first of all with what is known, what is clear. In verse 32, it begins with this parable of a fig tree, something that all people would have been familiar with. And Jesus, remember, he's sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's probably surrounded by many trees, but fig trees certainly. And this is what he says. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. See you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will by no means pass away. Okay, right away, the fun starts with the interpreting this by asking what he means by these two important phrases. He first of all talks about this generation and secondly what does he mean by all these things. Now as you can imagine there are a number of interpretations for what each of those phrases might mean. If you're just reading the passage casually you might consider that this generation is just the generation he's talking to at that moment. And that's a very natural way to interpret that and to place all this teaching, in fact, as some do, in the past and think that it is explaining the historical events that do indeed happen to that generation with the sacking of Rome. They will indeed face those things. But he then says that after all those things happen, then there is going to be an up-and-coming seven-year tribulation. 
So he is speaking to that generation, to those people who are going to live through the events that take place. But let me remind you, just what I said yesterday last time, about how it is a characteristic of the Hebrew prophets and Hebrew prophecy itself to project itself into the future and speak not only about things in the present, as they are in the present, but to project them into the future. So this is not unusual or uncharacteristic when you deal with biblical prophecy at all. Sometimes the prophet is speaking absolutely to that generation, but reminding that there is a generation to come to which these events will be relevant and it may indeed be fulfilled again in a fuller way. So in this occasion, this is the generation. This is the generations that living who these things and it will come to pass. But it also, it's not a contradiction to say it would also have a complete meaning, a fulfillment in the future. So when he says this generation will by no means pass away until these things take place, of course he means it's to those he's speaking to, but it also applies to any anyone living prior to the seven-year tribulation period. So by nature, that means it must apply to us as well. That's what I believe anyway. Anyone that's alive to hear this teaching then or today can reasonably expect to experience this situation unless the Lord calls them home earlier by death. So this is going to happen. It's going to come and it's going to last for seven years and then after that, then we will see heaven and earth pass away. And he, But he also says, although heaven and earth will pass away, take note, my words will by no means pass away. So what he's telling us here is that this is really, really important. We have to pay attention. What he's saying, in fact, is what I'm saying, just like this prophecy, it's an eternal prophecy telling an eternal truth. Heaven and earth itself may well pass away, but these words will stand for eternity. In other words, what I'm saying to you, which means what Jesus is saying to us today, is an eternal truth. So I suppose we better sit up and listen. What we've seen thus far is that there are some things that we can know that are ours and belong to our generation and will experience, but there are things that future generations will experience. And the things that Jesus is particularly drawing attention to is the things, the troubles that are to come, the birth pangs of which we're seeing now, but the cumulation of these troubled times and experiences are summed up by this use of the word tribulation. Now, most people who approach this passage believe that it's referring to the future and would agree basically with what I'm saying. It's the mainstream view, not just across evangelicals, but across most Christians worldwide. So that is what we can pretty much know, and we can be reasonably emphatic about that. But now it gets into the realms of that, perhaps, which God is specifically telling us we will not know and will never know. So picking up the text again in verse 36, it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Just as in the day of Noah, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the the flood, there was eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the very day Noah entered the ark, 
and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also it will be regarding the coming of the Son of Man. On that day, two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. In the same way, therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So firstly, it tells us clearly that nobody, nobody will know the time that this will happen. If anybody, any church, any denomination tells you they know the time, then avoid it. They are deceived. It actually tells us no man will know, not even the angels know. The only one who knows is our Father in heaven. But it does tell us it's going to happen just like in the days of Noah. And we know that Noah's day, Noah himself didn't know the exact moment when the rain would begin to fall. He just went into the ark, closed up the door and waited, and waited a few days and then the rain suddenly came and fell. Now, in a way, in a sense, this seems to fly in the face of everything Jesus has just been teaching previously when he told us to watch for the signs. And I suppose the question we might think is that's a bit of a problem. But there are two explanations to what's going on in the passage. Remember, the context here, he's been talking about the tribulation. In that, he is going to give us signs and seasons, that ways that we can now identify the coming tribulation but now it's moving on to the second coming so when he's talking about not knowing the day he's talking about the fact that no one knows the hour of the day of the second coming of Christ it's not talking about the tribulation whereby we are told to watch and wait for the signs of that arrival it all has to do with keeping what we read in the flow of the context of the passage as we go also, later in the passage, he'll say, he says, well, we read it in verse 38, that it's just like in the days before the flood. There's going to be eating and drinking, marrying, people getting married. And until the very day Noah entered the ark, no one, neither he, and particularly those outside, knew when the flood would come. And when it came, it came suddenly, and it swept all of those who were outside the ark away. And by the way, I'll quickly add in the ark, is a metaphor for the church in these end times. Think about that for a second. When the flood comes, the people of the earth, they were swept away. They weren't taken away to heaven. They were taken away to judgment. But there is a case to say that this passage is also talking about what is called the rapture. Because if you read verse 42, it also talks about two men being in the field, of one being taken and the other left. It also talks about two women working together at a grinding mill and one is taken and the other left behind. And that sounds pretty much like the rapture to me. And if that is the rapture and you follow all the chronology and the flow of this passage, then we will remember that the rapture is during at the three and a half year period, as most believe or some believe, it doesn't matter at the end of the tribulation, that means that believers, to some extent, are going to have to go through the tribulation to some degree. Now again, that becomes a bit of a, a bone of contention with different rival teachers saying different things about this. And it's important to me to say that whatever view you take on it, 
handle it with respect and in the right way and be gracious towards other Christians who have settled on one view or another or a different view to yours. Now, I accept that the view that this is talking about the rapture is a minority interpretation in the evangelical circles. And I can also see that there are people who are very influential, godly people who hold out to a different view than this, and they've held it for years and years. And although I'm inclined towards, we'll always find that perhaps in these areas we're inclined toward different interpretations than others, the important thing, well, for me is I still remain open to persuasion. I really only made anything approaching a firm decision on this very recently, and only because, and honestly, I knew I was going to be teaching on this enough to share with you what I think this message is about. And I would be arriving at this point when we work together through Matthew's Gospel. As an aside, I'm very glad I have many years yet before I will be tackling the enormity of the message and the ideas around the same issue of the rapture and the second coming of the Lord as portrayed in the book of Revelation, which we'll get to one day. But having said all that, we must never let ourselves get distracted by these theological discussions on the nature of prophetic revelation or the rapture of the second coming, we must not let ourselves distracted from the remembering the main fact that there is a sovereign God in whose hands the issues of life and death are held, and that whenever he comes, be it morning, noon or night, we must find ourselves ready. And that really is the core of what this passage is trying to tell us. May I remind you that the Bible says that those of us who are on the earth or should be pilgrims for the Lord. We should recognise that we're just passing through this life and that, that this world is not our home. The problem, it seems to me, is that many Christians have traded their tent for a house and they want their mansion here on earth rather than in heaven. As Jesus says, we have been lulled to sleep, but as the scriptures also call us, they tell us to rise up, O sleeper, and wake from the dead so that Christ can live in you. So don't sleep through the night because his feet may come, the Lord may appear and he may even take those away around you that you love who are readied in this way. So Jesus here is ultimately saying to any Christian or disciple who approaches this text, he's saying, wake up, don't be lulled to sleep. I think many, many people who call themselves Christians today are spiritually asleep. So wake up is the call here. And Jesus says that wake up and once you are awake, get up and get ready. Get dressed, get prepared. That's the idea that's going on here. Get ready for the Son of Man is coming and he's coming at an hour that you will never expect. And you need to be ready because he's coming like a thief in the night. And thieves do not advertise when they're coming. They just show up and turn up. So wake up and stay awake. To live without this type of spiritual vigilance invites disaster on your life. A thief does not send a letter saying he's going to burgle your house. His principal weapon is surprised. Therefore, a householder who has valuables in his house must maintain a constant guard. That's the picture, that's the metaphor Jesus is using right here. But we can also remember that watching of the Christian for the coming return of Christ is not 
a watching of fear or terror. Rather, it is meant to be a watching of eager expectation because what we are watching and waiting for is the coming of glory and joy in the return of the Lord. So let me ask you the question I believe this question asks all of us, which is, are you ready? Are you ready? Well, you get ready by simply trusting Jesus Christ who died for you and paid for your sins and rose for the dead. Trusting Jesus Christ plus nothing else to get to heaven. If you've trusted in Christ and you're living a loving life, then you have nothing to fear when you meet the Lord upon his return or even if you shuffle off this mortal coil before that happens. Either way, we are told two people are going to be working and then one's going to be taken, the other left. However you interpret this passage, whatever way you interpret this passage, and there are differences between believers, the one thing that is very obvious is that it clearly represents the potential future for a believer and an unbeliever and how they're going to be separated. A bit like the separation of the goats sheep. We'll hear about that soon. Potentially meaning that even people that are near and dear to us are going to be taken and we're going to be separated from them at the end of days. If one of them is a believer and one of them is not, that's what this passage says is going to happen. And you know what? That's really sad. But perhaps one of the things you could do to get ready what this is telling us is to make sure that we all tell the people around us about the Lord and how they need to be ready also. So are you ready to meet the Lord? Well, if you are, that's good. But I also think that some of us are going to stand before the Lord, safe and secure, saved for eternity, fit for heaven, but still regret the fact that we didn't tell the people, particularly those people that we loved about him. We need to be in the business of telling people about the Lord. I hope you can say amen to that. Let me sum this all up by saying this passage tells us what we can know and what we can't know. And the sum of it is that what we know is that people living in the run-up to the tribulation will be able to be seen, will be given signs that tell them that the second coming is near. We will never know the exact hour or the start or the day that the Lord will come back. But that means, therefore, we need to be wide awake spiritually and ready for that event, ready for his second coming, whenever it might be. So regardless of the interpretation of certain aspects of this passage, there is no doubt in my mind that the New Testament consistently and constantly teaches that the Lord could come back at any minute, and therefore we ought to be ready. Now, even if you don't fully agree with my interpretation of biblical prophecy on this occasion, I'm sure we can all agree that this is what the New Testament is teaching. It's unmistakable. I'm deadly serious about this. You should not be blinded by preconceived ideas about how and the way in which you think the Lord will come. Rather, you just need to embrace and understand that he is at hand. He's at the door, meaning he could come at any time. So the point here, the big point here, the one thing we shouldn't miss is we need to be constantly watching, waiting and preparing to meet the Lord. I'd like to close this today by telling you an old Victorian fable, a Christian story used by preachers 
from a previous generation, hundreds of years ago, when it tells the story of three apprentice devils who were coming to this earth to finish their apprenticeship. They were called before Satan, the chief of devils, and they were asked to account for their plans on how they could tempt and destroy people on earth. The first said, I will go and tell them there is no God. And Satan said, hmm, that will deceive only some, but not that many, for many in their hearts know there is a God. Then the second said, I will tell people there is no hell. And Satan answered, again, you'll only deceive a few that way, for many know in their hearts that there must be a punishment for evil in the world, and that place of punishment is hell. But the third said, I will go and tell them there's no need to hurry. Go, said Satan, do that, and you will bring ruination on them by the millions. You know what, friends? The most dangerous of all delusions in life is that we have plenty of time. The most dangerous day in a person's life is when they learn that there's such a thing as tomorrow and that they can put things off for another day to that tomorrow. But there are things that we must not put off for no one knows when the Lord will return. No one knows if the Lord will return tomorrow or today before tomorrow. We do not even know if tomorrow will ever come for us because no one knows the hour or the day on which the Lord will appear. Okay, people, there we are. Thank you so much for joining me. What an amazing passage of deep, deep teaching this is. And what a deep dive we need to make into it to try and get as much as we can out of it. I hope you're enjoying our time together. I know I'm learning by studying it. A quick reminder, my name is Jeremy McCandless and you're listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast, which is a series of projects over the coming years to work, I trust, Lord willing, through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're over 500 episodes in now. It's absolutely fine if you just want to pick up from here, but you have the option to go back either to the beginning of Matthew or right back to the beginning of season one, where you can actually work through the whole Bible at a pace that suits you. This is not the only place where I put teaching. I have other teaching resources available, always free, let me add, on places like my Patreon page, YouTube, Instagram, all the usual socials. Also, Patreon is where the place that some people can support me, but that's not what I'm asking for. But that's the place where I'm putting other free resources available. So you can go there, just follow the link. And the latest thing I put on there is a free Word and PDF version of the first book I published back in 2012, a book of Christian apologetics, because experiencing God every day. So you can go and get a free copy of that, because my plan is to take all my previously published books, I think there's six in total, which are available on Amazon, but to put them over the next year or two, one by one, as free PDFs for anybody who would want to access them and use them and utilize them. So the place to keep up to date on all aspects of the ministry is Patreon. And there are changes coming along with YouTube, which I might be doing more in there when they start accepting audio files. So with that all said, thank you so much for joining me. 
It's a real thrill to know that there's so many of you out there in over 168 countries now who've made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily lives. And I do hope I'll see you back here again tomorrow. Well, it'll be tomorrow for me, as I always say, but it'll be whatever day suits you at whatever pace suits you. Thank you again and bye for now.